Hi, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Dr. Keith Darrow podcast. As I've been telling you, this podcast continues to grow, and now we've had North America. Now we have extended to international. I am so excited to welcome today Rob Shepard from the UK, who has worked in hearing healthcare uh, for quite some time and really just has a unique perspective. I feel like we have the, the UK expert with us today. So welcome, Rob. Thanks, Keith. Thank you for the invitation to join you. Absolutely. No, I'm excited to share. And I appreciate, look, in full transparency, this is our first time meeting. We've had some emails back and forth. We've definitely had some LinkedIn conversations. I feel like you've put some great information out there on social media. I appreciate your likes for some of the things we put out on social media. But I want to dive in and I want to understand your passion, right? Because look, you could be a run-of-the-mill audiologist, clock in at 8 a.m. and clock out at 5 p.m., but you do so much more, and I want to know where that drive comes from. What is your why? I think years ago, you know, when I, I started, as you say, many, many years ago, so coming up to 40 years now, um, and I recognized that that we could and we should be doing more. As audiologists, I think, and I recognized in you as, as a, a, a a kindred frustration that audiology, the profession, and the complacency from some sectors in, in just accepting the status quo of what we do was not enough. Uh, and I could see that maybe the, the patients, the clients that I was seeing weren't getting the service that, that I could offer. So I've always been driven to develop audiology, to create best practice, and to help others do the same. Um, I, I think clinical audiologists maybe we've been victims of the hearing aid industry and those who would describe themselves as audiologists but have distilled what they do purely is in providing and selling products, selling hearing aids. And I think audiology, the profession of audio audiology can do so much more than that. So much more. So much more. And I think that that's why we align. And I feel like without getting too controversial too early, one of the things that drives me crazy, and I know you've authored your own best practices that have been published. One of the things that gets me is we're really different than any other medical field. And I think it's part of the reason that I'm going to say it, that I think we're disrespected in certain circles is because there's a lot of cutting corners. There's a lot of shortcuts and there's no accountability, right? I know in the States, I, less than 40% of private practices are doing real ear verification. Less than 15% are doing speech and noise testing, right? So all these things that are in our best practices aren't necessarily being done. And I think that's where you and I sort of definitely get along is that it's like, can we, can, can we just do what we're supposed to do? But it, I don't know what it's like in the UK, but here there's just very little accountability. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the UK is slightly different. We have a, a, a dual or a double um, approach to audiology. We have audiology in the in the public sector. Mm -hmm. So it's free, a, a point of service provided by the NHS. And that's where all the clinicians live, generally. Uh, and then you have private audiology, which is very much focused on on selling products, selling what I think what you call widgets. <laughs> And 
and yeah, certainly a lot of corners cut there. Uh, and it is frustrating. It is frustrating. But also my passion is not only for uh, best practice and excellence in clinical audiology, but but also in preventative audiology. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to come back to that. I, I promise I'm going to come back to the preventative audiology. But you just said something that people are going to perk up and, and they're going to want to know more, right? Because I actually had a note here to ask you this. <laughs> I'm going to be the naive American, right? And I'm going to say, Rob, I don't get it. Aren't hearing aids free in England? Don't you guys have socialized medicine? But you just blew my mind and said, some of it is free. There is that sector, but then there's also private. And so my brain's like, well, why would I buy a hearing aid if it could be free? Tell tell me more about what that looks like. Okay, so so when I started looking at the private sector, this was maybe 25, 30 years ago. Um, I did my training in the in the public sector as a clinical audiologist. Um, but the limited resources that the public sector have, the NHS have, means that we can't access the latest technologies. So when I started looking at private hearing instruments, hearing technology, I say many, many years ago, in the NHS, we only had analog hearing aids. You know, I was fitting, when I started, I was fitting the body-worn hearing aids. I was fitting the analog ear-level hearing aids. And the digital hearing aids that were available privately were not, we didn't have access to them in the NHS. Uh, and the NHS are always uh, a number of years behind what's available privately because of the limited resources they have. The waiting list for to be seen on the NHS can be huge. I mean, locally, we're, we're almost a couple of years to be seen. So, so many people are looking to the private sector for not only convenience, but access to the better technologies. Um, uh, but generally, the, the, the better trained um, clinical audiologists, as I say, inhabit the public sector. And there aren't as many of people like ourselves, clinical audiologists, working in the private sector. This is really interesting because, you know, it's <laughs> over here in America, because we don't know better and a lot of people believe the grass is always greener. I think you just I think you just really highlighted an, an important factor when it comes to socialized medicine, which is one of those things that it's like it's always on the ballot. You always hear the politicians talking about it. But I love when when the reality comes to fruit comes to sort of hit you in the face with yes we do have national nationalized medicine yes you can get your hearing aids for free but you're gonna wait a couple of years and when you get there you are potentially compromising treatment with inferior technology is that that a decent summary yeah i mean the, the nhs are brilliant they do everything they can with the resources that, that they have Fair. Um, but we don't have access to everything that's available in the private sector. Um, Fair. And so, so, so if I can understand, so now we have this system set up, but there's, there's, and you're one of them, there's frustrated audiologists who say, I can do more. Absolutely. If I circumvent the national healthcare system, I can do more but it's going to come at a cost and you, the patient is going to pay out of pocket. Maybe you'll try to fight with NHS, whatever. But when you come to me, you get in quicker, you get the best technology, the best service, but you pay for it. 
Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Fair. So you really, you have, I don't, maybe it's the best of both worlds. I don't know, but you've got, you've got a system that can really help people who perhaps have the means for private care versus those who are on more of the national program, which I, I don't like to discriminate, but that's just the reality of that situation. Sure. Okay. Okay. And so in the private sector, tell me about your sort of clinical expertise. You used you use the word preventative audiology. Tell me more about what that passion is and, and what your drive is. Okay. So again, in my early years of audiology, I was seeing so many uh, patients in the NHS that had uh, presented with a similar history of exposure to ototoxicity, loud sound, other risk factors. They presented with very similar symptoms of tinnitus, hyperacusis, difficulty communicating in background noise. But when we performed audiometry, which was and unfortunately still is relied upon as the measure of exposure to, to loud sound, some people had the typical uh, 4K dip demonstrating noise-induced hearing loss, and they were told, well, clearly you have been exposed to loud sound. This is the reason for your symptoms. Others that didn't present with that um, typical audiogram, and they had normal audiometry, well, they were told your symptoms are idiopathic, and therefore we can't help you. And I recognized then, many, many years ago, that, that we should be investigating deeper. You know, there's some hidden loss, there's something going on that audiometry isn't showing us. So that's when I started researching using other technologies, uh, using autoacoustic emissions and finding that reliance, sole reliance on audiometry as an indicator of uh, cochlear integrity of hearing acuity was not the best way forward. So that's no. when I started developing best practice. That's great. That's great. And that's sort of, I think that's it's funny that we were sort of on our own similar paths with, you know, just a giant pond in between us, the ocean. But really, that's been been my drive, right? I have been trying to continually, I get a lot of pushback. I get a lot of hate mail. I'm okay with it, right? The audiogram is extremely reliable. but the audiogram is also extremely invalid, right? And there's not enough hearing healthcare providers who who sort of really understand conceptually what that means, that you can test somebody a hundred times and the, the, the results won't change, but the validity, meaning does the audiogram actually tell you what's happening in the ear? Well, that's a flat out hell no, right? If you're just going to do... 250 to 8,000 hertz, right? And so you're right, autoacoustic emissions, extended high-frequency testing, speech and noise, cognitive screens. There's so much more that we can do. So I really do. I, I appreciate your mission, which is preventative audiology, which I, I imagine has to incorporate the, right, not just can we prevent hearing loss, that's sort of obvious, but can we prevent the the unintended consequences of untreated hearing loss and how bad that can be for somebody. Yeah. I mean, I think now that we're getting more traction, people are becoming aware of those links with 
other serious health conditions, dementia, cognitive decline, uh, cardiovascular disease with exposure to noise. And, and people are now starting to slowly and in some sectors reluctantly realise that, that we need to do more. But this is a big public health issue. Um, it's a huge public health issue, right? I mean, you, we it, it's it's as if for a while there, and I understand it, right? If you look at sort of the history of clinical science for the last 20 years, there seemed to be this push of like specialization, right? And 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 I think what that did was it it forced people to almost separate the hand from the arm, right? You needed a hand specialist or an arm specialist, and as if these two had nothing to do with each other. And audiology seemed to live in this silo where it's just hearing is whatever. Hearing may not even be necessary. Maybe it impacts quality of life, but how could hearing possibly affect anything else, right? And now we're, you know, on a minimum of a few decades of research telling us how hearing loss impacts emotional and social, physical and cognitive health. You yeah, can't yeah. just separate it out. No, no, no. It, it's, and it's, I mean, we've always, we've always done a bit of psychology. We've always done a bit of counseling. And that's one of the joys of audiology is, is there's so much scope. But as you say, we've been siloed, you know, the, but now the yeah. link with all those other health issues is opening up doors, which is great. You know, we're getting bigger audiences for our for our message. Now, t tell me, Rob. I guess I, I, on a daily basis, day in and day out, are you are you in a clinic? Are you in a hospital? Are you a consultant? Have you retired from seeing patients? Where are you at uh, on a daily so, basis today? So yeah, not day in day out, but I, I have my clinics, so I'll be working locally, and uh, tinnitus, uh, audio vestibular assessments, and. Um, auditory rehab uh, and then nationally I consult for various organizations so I work as audiologist to the Royal College of Music and, and other music uh, orientated organizations and uh, I consult on best practice here in conservation for various uh, various places and, and uh, industries. I also work internationally with WHO so I'm um, helping make listening safe campaign and mm -hmm. how we prevent hearing damage in a wide range of environments. And I also am uh, a UK expert on a European technical committee that create the standards involved for hearing conservation. So there's lots of aspects. There's, there's, there's so many uh, pies that audiologists can put their fingers in because we have such influences so in so many areas. Um, and so, yeah, I'm doing lots of things in lots of lots places of things, yeah. all yes. the time. I, I, I know you're certainly not uh, sitting on your laurels. <laughs> um, let me let me ask you, because you said something that just triggered triggered a thought. I, I know you're working with the World Health Organization, and I'm curious if you've made any progress because even the World Health Organization is kind of siloed off its push for hearing hearing you know hearing loss prevention ototoxicity noise levels around the world all very important right and then there's a whole other commission that deals with right what does the next 25 years look like in terms of the aging population right if we don't do something our you know 
our hospitals, our healthcare facilities, our financial infrastructure could be destroyed by dementia in the next 25 years and the rates of what's coming. Curious if you've been able to make any progress in marrying, or if you're even in a position to sort of marry those two, hearing loss, cognitive decline within the World Health Organization, or are they just like, you know, Rob, get out of here. We don't want to hear it. <laughs> I think, uh, I mean, I'm only a very, very small part of the, the WHO and the, sure. and the Make Listening Safe campaign, um, but they've published the World Hearing Report very recently, and it demonstrates that over 1.1 billion young adults, so that's not that's not age-related hearing, that's 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 younger adults uh, between the ages of 12 and, and 30, 35, something like that, risk of hearing loss. Um, and that's due to exposure to to recreational sound. So it's not just industrial sound, it's it's when we're listening to our headphones, listening to our uh, earbuds. Um, so that report's really helpful. We've just published global standards on safe listening in venues and events. So audience members going to clubs, going to concerts, uh, best practice to help conserve their health. So yeah, we're doing everything we can. We're just in a small way. We're sort of baby steps. Fair, fair. You know, I've always uh, like... The thing with noise exposure, and that was actually my my first fascination when I got into neuroscience. When I went to uh, to my lab uh, at Harvard Medical School, I went straight to work with Dr. Liberman because I wanted to study noise exposure. And I started there. Uh, I veered off into different areas, but I've always been really fascinated by <laughs> the fact that if you dive deep enough in the data, the current standards for noise exposure, like it's right there. In front. They, they actually allow for a certain percentage of people to get hearing loss, right? Yep. It's like, it's like, it's okay if a certain percent is exposed to this and ends up with hearing loss. We're okay with that. And I feel like America, at least it's like, let's just keep turning it up. How loud can we get it? But I also feel, and I'll never forget this. I was in Disney, France a few years ago, and everybody who worked there on a ride had to wear hearing protection, right? Which I thought was awesome. Meanwhile, it wasn't even that loud, right? At least, I, and I'm pretty sensitive to sound. But here, it's like, let's just keep making things louder and louder, turn up the loudspeakers, this and that. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on all this? Yeah, I mean, I think we've just got to educate. People need to be made aware. Um, I think the driver, the driving, the decision makers will all, it will all come down to the bottom line. Um, so yes, people make it louder, but when the customers start demanding uh, quiet spaces or, or demanding hearing protection because they suddenly realise if they carry on being exposed to these levels, then dementia, problems of decline, hearing loss, tinnitus, hypercrisis, that's all a possibility. Um, it's, I mean, of all the things, though, that government sticks their nose in, why do they not seem to sort of uh, maybe this is just some one of those hills they're not willing to die on? Well, I think politicians and I've had conversations with these decision makers, politicians want to be able to make uh, headlines that will have a, a reaction, you know, that you know, I have reduced waiting lists this month not I'm doing something that's going to save people's hearing in 10 years' time because there'll be a different <laughs> politician there. 
<laughs> You're um, not going to get a headline out of that. <laughs> so, so I think you know we've got to we've got to educate. We've got to make people aware, um, and we've got to get those decision makers, those those uh, stakeholders on board. Um, and it's difficult. You know, I've had lots of conversations with lots of organisations, and we are getting traction. You know, we've published best practice for all UK musicians and performers, and that's really really great. Um, we've just got to talk to more and more people and we're, we're launching various things in the UK as we speak and I'm hoping that that's going to uh, increase awareness and have the effect that we want. Yeah, I, I think awareness is really the big thing. I feel like when it comes to hearing healthcare, of all medical conditions, I feel like health literacy is like we're at the bottom, right? Nobody knows what we do. They hear hearing healthcare, they hear audiologists, they think, oh, you sell hearing aids, right? Absolutely. And and hearing aids, do I need them? Eight, you know, I hear normal for my age, right? Like this is just, it's just, we're going to get older. We're not going to hear well. It's not a big deal. Meanwhile, right? People like you, me, and and thousands of others it's like we've got all this information in our head. We know all the bad things, but we're we're still struggling to really get out word to yeah. not only the general public, but to local physicians, right? I mean, how many times does a physician tell a patient, oh, you have tinnitus? Nothing we can do for you. Too bad, so sad. Yeah. And that's not true. <laughs> I know. I mean, that that's why we run GP training sessions. So, so we're teaching those primary caregivers, um, and it's great. But it's just getting, as you say, it's getting that word out there, uh, and and uh, it's hard. It is what is hard. that? What? Tell me that. I, I'm. I'm. You just. I'm so curious. And a lot of my listeners who are in private practice, who are always trying to find the the silver bullet, which I don't think exists, to 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 get in front of doctors. What does that look like? That program where you're sort of actively educating. GPs, we call them PCPs here, but um, how does that work? I mean, how do you how do you establish something like that? So the hospitals in which I'm based, you know, we have training programs, and each of the consultants and each of their specialties will offer um, those sort of evenings where GPs and practitioners can come in and and get some insight on our own specialties. And obviously, for we all have to have our, our continual professional development so if we can provide those those training points which help them with that development they're very very happy to come in and, and listen to us uh, that's great yeah i know i look i'm i'm always uh, hey if there's somebody that will listen please put me in front of them <laughs> yeah. uh, because i feel like we can if we can get that message across if we can help one gp understand the importance of treating hearing loss that they can then help all of their patients and maybe they'll tell their other doctors, right? And we just got to get the ball rolling on it. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, I'm, I'm hopeful that the snowball will, will gain momentum and, and more and more people will come on board. Uh, and for some of the things we're doing, we're looking for ambassadors. So I think if we can get high profile recognized individuals to support what we're doing, you know, that can only be a good thing as well. So yeah, watch this space. Excellent. Excellent. I love that. I love that. And I know that, tell me, in the UK, I know there's been a push for, you know, 
dental and, and eye care to really become part of sort of the regular medical process, right? You hit a certain age, you get your eyes checked, you get your ears checked, you get your colonoscopy. Like, is that making progress? What's that challenge like? Well, for, for uh, eye care and dental care, you know, that has been something for years that we've all done. So we, you know, go as, as a child and we go every year. We have our eyes checked, we have our, our teeth checked. And that's something that I've been arguing for. We should be doing the same thing for our hearing, an annual check, again, a preventative check. Don't wait until we have tinnitus. Don't wait until we can't communicate with our friends and family down the pub. Let's check it every year. Let's keep on top of it. Let's prevent that injury in the first place. So, yeah, again, a huge public health uh, campaign. Um, but we're still, a, we're still a way away from there. Yeah, yeah. Which brings me to, right, what... I'm sure some days you wake up and feel the same way I do, which is this is such a big fight, right? Mm -hmm. Like we really, we need more people to help champion this effort because it really is, it's huge. And I feel like, especially in the United States, I don't know, over in the UK, with the recent legislation of over-the-counter hearing aids, right? I feel like no time is better than now to to double, triple down on our value and our services. What do you think the next five years looks like for hearing healthcare? And you can stick to the UK because that's where you're the expert. Yeah, I mean, I think OTC, uh, you know, over-the-counter hearing aids are going to come here very soon. Okay. Um, you know, you can see them online being sold online. And I think the disparity between good healthcare, good hearing healthcare, and not is going to widen. And I think we... I think it's an ideal opportunity. It's a challenge for us, but it's an ideal opportunity where we can develop the, the service that audiologists can provide. So even those who've been focused on selling product may well recognize the benefit of developing their service. So not only do they rehabilitate with hearing instruments, but also they provide preventative audiology and, and all those other services that, that can set us aside and give us recognition as, as true professional clinicians. I love that. So I think there's an opportunity there. We've just got to grab it and we've got to drive it forward. Exactly. Right. I, I mean, people look at me, oh my God, what about over-the-counter hearing aids? Bring it on. Right. Like that's great because finally I'm actually forced. I mean, I feel like we knew OTC was coming. And so at least in our clinics and our mindset, it's been five years that we've like been ready for it. Ultimately, I think it boils down to, look, in the UK now, seems like we're going to have over-the-counter, the NHS, and private, right? And yeah. so now private has a choice. You want to you wanna go down and be the widget seller and do OTC, or do you want to elevate yourself, right? Elevate your services, elevate your value. Do you want to stick to best practices, which isn't done by over-the-counter hearing aids? Do you want to be held accountable for treatment outcomes, which over-the-counter technology will never do? Do you want to, you know, become a certified dementia practitioner? Do you want to reinvest in your training and your education? There's so much more you can do that brings, to me, it widens the gap between you and the widget. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I completely agree. That's great. That's great. Well, I really do think that, you know, like us, if you're prepped and ready, when and if over-the-counter hearing aids come to you, which I'm sure they will, right? Because people will argue 
the lines are too long for NHS and the private sector is too expensive. And so the politicians say, yeah, 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 leave me alone. Go buy hearing aids wherever you want. That's what they did here. They'll do it by you too. Um, but that's a gr- it's really a great thing. And so anybody listening, if you're in the UK, now's the time to be ready. Now's the time to start to plan ahead. So uh, I would say reach out to Rob. I mean, look, you've you've been consulting with nearly every organization. And if I were over there, I'd want to work with you to help really distinguish the value and services we provide. Well, I think, you know, what you're doing in the States and, and your community of excellence in audiology, you know, that should become a, a, a worldwide thing. Definitely, definitely, right? I think the more of us there are, the better we are. Globally, there's 500 million people who need help, right? There, There's way too few of us and way too many people. So, you know, I think together we definitely are stronger and we'll make more of a dent uh, in that overwhelming number. But no, Rob, thank you so much for your time today. I really do. I appreciate your perspective. I think that preventative audiology, I think incorporating, you know, cognition, things that were maybe thought to be outside our scope are so important. And I love the way that you view best practices. Yeah, thank you again. Thank you for the invitation. And I hope I hope we can all work together going forward. Definitely, definitely, definitely. All right, Rob, thank you so much for being hey, personal question. You mentioned going down to the pub. So what's your what's your favorite drink? Oh, I'm old and married now. I haven't had a favorite drink for years. Um, just just a pint, just a pint, given the opportunity. A, a pint of what? I mean, a pint, pint of lager. Pint of lager. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> Rob, thank you so much for your time. It's great. Take care. And, and you look, there's a big time difference here. So I appreciate you taking time out of the end of your day to be here. No, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. All Speak right. again Take soon. Care.